And, and to me, that's one of the other things is like, I'm not interested in integrating Bitcoin into the state. I'm interested in Bitcoin displaying how powerless the state is. Uh, and so I much rather prefer a method of like having them attack Bitcoin, showing how incompetent and stupid they are. Yeah, I'm in total agreement with Eric on this one. Like Bitcoin is not going to be the savior of the government and trying to integrate it into the government is it, it, it's so silly. It, it, yeah, incredibly backwards. We have a technology that it, in Bitcoin that liberates the individual and frees them from the slave relationship with the state. And that's where it's powerful. And to watch a state be powerless over being able to manage uh, Bitcoin and manage people is incredibly exciting. But welcome to the Tucson Bitcoin podcast. My guest today is Eric Kaysen. I'm really stoked on this conversation. It's just so awesome to sit down with him and, and have the opportunity to pick his brain. He's put out so many good articles, awesome writer, been on so many podcasts, He's so well articulated. and. He, I think he, he is very in tune with the future that we're going into. And it's interesting to pick his brain and like, what does governance look like in the future? Uh, how do we organize as societies? How, do, how does Bitcoin fundamentally change the relationship with government? And how does it free the individual? Just awesome conversation. Uh, but yeah, before we get into it, we've got awesome things happening in Arizona. The, the meetup scenes are popping. We've got some awesome events coming up. Uh, we have a Halloween party happening in Phoenix with Brian Harrington. He's coming out. Uh, he's the organizer, one of the organizers of the Orange County uh, Bitcoin scene, and he's a good friend of mine. Really stoked for that. Uh, we just had our Sierra Vista meetup, and that was a blast. <laughs> just if you don't want to be depressed like go and hang out with bitcoiners and you know if you want to be a nim do it online uh but having these conversations and seeing people that are moving that are not lemmings that are not just going along with whatever the narrative is and just giving over their rights and are really taking things into their own hands and becoming more sovereign is so incredibly exhilarating and rejuvenating and yeah I, I am super stoked about what's happening here i'm super stoked about all the meetups across you know the united states and even the world where people are getting together and having treasonous uh conversations <laughs> yeah anyways i hope you enjoyed this conversation cool recording it's great to have you on again eric um I, uh, thank you. The last time I had you on, I had a very poor understanding of anarchism and crypto anarchism and have been somewhat educated on it. I'm definitely like going down the rabbit hole a bit. Um, you know, I've read a ton since then, read your work, um, read some of Alex Fetsky's work. I'm, uh, uh, I recently was suggested to read uh, Larkin Rose's book, uh, The Most Dangerous Superstition. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with that one, but uh, that has really broken down some of, you know, faulty beliefs I've had. And uh, yeah, I'm coming around to this anarchist idea. I think it's, you know, incredible. I don't see the importance of, uh, um, you know, I see democracy actually as something that's problematic. And I, I think Bitcoin really allows for, like in some of the things that you've been talking about, uh, other interviews, like Bitcoin allows for this anarcho-capitalist future. 
in a really you know powerful meaningful way so that's kind of been my journey nice. since we talked yeah i've i've found uh contemporary times more than anything has really allowed for people to understand my viewpoint you know and uh like that word democracy is so loaded because to me like uh like anarchism really is like the the most purest form of democracy actualized but because it's like this totally other idea of uh inclusivism you know like through the actual communes that are created through the ability of people to make mutualized agreements like that's that's what allows for like the true true democracy to actually bloom which we can't understand that in contemporary age because we use this word democracy, but it's actually kind of this inverted totalitarianism where like, well, like, you know, all the black people who have been in prison, like they don't get rights to vote and like anybody else who the state doesn't like, they don't get to vote. And like, if you don't do it in this extremely narrow spot, you know, like it, it doesn't count. So at best, like democracy matters, what, like once every four years or so. Uh, and even with that, it's so deeply propagandized that there's no real solution. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, I think one of the, the things that's most interesting about in this day and age, specifically with Bitcoin, is the idea of anarcho-capitalism. I don't want to say it was untenable before Bitcoin, but like there, there was clearly this very important apparatus of being able to like uh, essentially extract the state from the equation in some methodology uh, that was never available. And like with the formation of Bitcoin, what I see is essentially like the the tensions between anarchism and capitalism that like fundamentally can't coexist with the state uh, through Bitcoin essentially fused back into each other through like a Hegelian synthesis. And what I actually think we're, we're seeing the production of is uh, what I would call something similar to like crypto syndicalism. Uh, I'm not sure. Are you, are you familiar with the idea of syndicalism? Have has that have you came across that in your readings very very uh surface level but i am somewhat familiar with it yeah essentially like uh this was one of the strategies that anarchists came up with after they split from the communists in the 1860s was essentially that uh like through the network directly like whether that's like a guilds network or a trade union network or uh an organizers of water rights like whatever the collective is the collective itself creates its own power. And this is actually what the trade unionist movement and the very powerful trade unionist movements, both in France and Germany came, like this is part of what they developed out of. And even more interestingly is the syndicalists, they took stuff even further. And uh, this is part of kind of how fascism developed in, in Italy. And like uh, Benito Mussolini was one of the early syndicalists who essentially absorb syndicalist ideas and then took it to this extreme place that we recognize as fascism today. Um, but another good example that I kind of see Bitcoin as is in a lot of ways, uh, like Satoshi is almost this individual that declared a dictatorship and like made the decision about what the monetary supply was going to be. Uh, and like that's sort of his uh, authority or the Latin word would be like octoris, like the actual authorship over what happened and we've all rallied behind that idea and, and it's interesting because uh again we get these sort of tensions that resolve themselves through a digital being of that like we have satoshi as like our great leader but like who is satoshi and like what does it mean that he's gone 
And so it creates this uh, very different and powerful dynamic that I, I think we're pretty unfamiliar with just because we haven't, we haven't been able to produce these sort of things in the world until we had the internet. So, yeah. Yeah. It's really, really interesting. Do you uh, go ahead, kind of going back to that idea of syndicalism, do you see, you know, Bitcoin organizations organizing together essentially to protect themselves from the state or, you know, push back collectively? Like, how do you, how do you, I think that, I think the protocol itself is like the, you know, like that is actual layer one on that protection, you know, like the, the network functions, you can't take it down. Uh, it, it's pretty clear, even with major nation states outlawing it, like China, that the hash rate is going to bounce back and redistribute in a more powerful mechanism. Um, and, and, you know, I think more and more because we're seeing businesses get on board, we're seeing the state becoming more actively involved looking at it. Uh, and so I think what's probably going to happen is we'll get a bunch of them, actually. We'll, we'll get protocol level developments that continue to ensure stronger ability for both privacy on the transaction level and on the individual ledger level. And I also think that we're going to see business organizations starting to form uh, to push back against it. And ultimately, what we're also seeing uh, with the SEC sniffing around and poking around is there, there's a whole number of players in crypto. Uh, and as much as like, uh, toxic Bitcoin maximalism is like trying to destroy them. Like they, they are actually like our friends. Um, and, and pretty interestingly, I, I see them friends in the way that like the, the Roman classes saw the, the patricians and, and the plebarians, how they saw each other as quote unquote friends. Like there were two classes of enemies that actually like made a peace amongst themselves in order to be able to like make their way of living, push out farther into the world. And so I think as Bitcoiners, uh, there was a great tweet that that uh, Hector had that that I retweeted that essentially his stance was like, look, like Bitcoin's the the monetary proposition, and that's what we want to be. There's other innovation going on in crypto that's important and helpful, but like, stop stop pretending that like you guys are a monetary standard. You're not, and like, so long as you continue to do that, you're probably going to continue to piss off Bitcoiners. So, I think that that kind of explains part of my perspective with it. And so we're seeing those players in the crypto field uh, starting to organize essentially to, to, you know, create super PACs and other things to push back politically. And so I do think that we'll see uh, fights starting to happen on a political front. And to me, like this is kind of the powerful decentral method of self-organization that like is its actual defense system like already at play. And we saw this happen in 2017 with the block wars as well. Like when, when all of that bullshit was playing out, essentially the decentralized network was able to like activate its immune system to have a grassroots level response that in a lot of ways saved Bitcoin from that internal civil war. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We, we, on my other show, toxic airwaves last week, we had a big debate on whether it was, you know, worth the effort to, donate money to these super PACs or to engage in the political system. And uh, my co-host and I took the stance it really wasn't worth the effort and that, you know, the protocol itself, kind of like you're talking about, is rock solid and can withstand the attacks. It's these efforts seem to be to protect the the industry, the companies. Um, it, it, kind of what, what, what's your take? on that, do you think it's worth engaging in the political system in relation to Bitcoin or, or kind of go in a different route of, um, 
seeking to protect yourself and create change like from more underground method uh I personally prefer the latter. Like, I, I don't want to fault anybody for, for trying the former. Like, I think it, it's a noble cause. I've just, you know, I, I've had my teeth kicked in enough by the political system that I realized that, like, the, this is all smoke and mirrors. Like, you, 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 you play this game perfectly to a T, they're going to disqualify you in some way because, like, you're, you're not a player in the game. Like, you know, to, and, and to me, that's one of the other things is, like, I'm not interested in integrating Bitcoin into the state. I'm interested in Bitcoin displaying how powerless the state is. Uh, and so I much rather prefer a method of, like, having them attack Bitcoin, showing how incompetent and stupid they are, uh, and being able to speak to that nature directly. Because, like, I, like, maybe we can create some new form of Republican democracy vis-a-vis, -vis, you know, liquid democracy and some kind of neo-republicanism that can get created with the internet. But like this antiquated system's fucked, you know, like we, we have all these geriatrics that are making decisions to, to prolong their health by a couple of years at the sacrifice of, of the youth, you know, and like the, this is all wrong and messed up. And it, it's time for us to dignify ourselves and say, we don't want this system and if we have any semblance of democracy, we should be able to exit from it. And that there's no meaningful exit right now. So to me, Bitcoin allows for us to attack the economic system, which is the most important component of how their whole system functions. And as it falls apart, uh, I would much rather have us pretty much say, yeah, you guys are on fire. We're not going to save you and too bad, rather than having this sort of whole regulatory system that's like, hey, uh, exchanges get the 6102, everybody. We're going to premiere USD coin. You get USD coin instead of your Bitcoin. Bitcoin becomes part of our treasury. Um, to me, that's like a much more messy proposition because like that, uh, that like allows for them to parasitically exist with Bitcoin much longer than I'd like them to. So essentially, like I, I want to see a collective of individuals that you know, essentially are Bitcoiners, only accept Bitcoin for payment, engage in peer-to-peer -peer transactions, hold their own keys, uh, and also understand the, the need for, you know, using methods such as CoinJoin uh, and supporting, you know, secondary layers like Lightning to be able to kind of more robustly develop it. And I think as all these things develop on the outside, our network becomes stronger and stronger. Uh, and we essentially start modeling a method of dual power where essentially because of how fucked all the general systems are instead of somebody trying to figure out how to get a bank account and you know how to do financing for their business in the old world they're just going to get themselves onto the lightning network get themselves you know some kind of uh, cold storage wallet understand bitcoin and engage in business that way and kind of move to in a much more private and personalized direction as opposed to uh, you know, trying to play well with the state. But again, I want to emphasize, like, like good luck. I, I think it's important that people try to pursue that path. Uh, and I really hope when it doesn't work, like, they'll come over to our side and be like, yeah, like, fuck these guys. Let's just figure out how to destroy them. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. And that's pretty in line with the arguments we were making on our show and, you know, what I believe. Because I, I think the incentives are are, are totally you know, backwards and trying to do that, like these politicians, their authority comes from this fiat system of decree and it for them to embrace Bitcoin in any way is, is actually moving against their, their interests and agendas. And so I think it's a, 
waste of time. It's kind of interesting. But yeah, you know, and it's it's a really contorted uh, and frankly evil thing that like these are the incentives and how they've lined up with it. Because like one of the things that I see in Bitcoin and I know others see as well is that like this has the true deep American values of liberty and freedom for individuals to make choices and what that means in the world. And I think it's very important that, uh, you know, if, if this political route is to be successful uh, and Bitcoin was to, you know, say, for example, become legal tender in the United States and utilized in that way, I see this as one of the only things we can do on a global stage to counter the coming, uh, you know, central digital currencies, Chinese social credit system stuff. And I think it's extremely important that as Americans, we continue to be that bastion of light out in the world for individuals to know that as fucked up as stuff is, these American values can still survive. And I also readily acknowledge that like that stuff's been pretty extinguished from the American psyche for the last century or so. Um, and I really hope that we'll recover it because it's extremely important that in this digital age, we not only continue to be able to be a global community that can transact, you know, so that I can transact with friends in Palestine, Afghanistan, South Africa, or wherever. Uh, but furthermore, that like this becomes a true peer-to-peer -peer interaction that allows for us to become a large global community that actually has a fair opportunity economically across the board globally. Um, and I would love to see that become part of our contemporary political system, but I think it's impossible with the current paradigm. Uh, perhaps we can like have states make it into their own official currency and like have some Soviet style dissolution happen for the United States. But at this point in time, like I don't see, I have a really hard time seeing how Bitcoin is going to play nice in the contemporary political system. Um, and that's also like part of the, the, the hilarious like Trojan horse that's a trap is like, I think they're gonna bring it in and try to integrate it. And they're gonna like figure out like, oh shit, like it's a bunch of anarchists inside that are here to burn down the system. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah. And and when I think it's important to preface uh the idea of like burning down the system. It's it's different than what like Antifa's trying to do. Uh I don't sure. think I don't think it's destructive. It it's it's trying to render, you know, a system that is built to victimize people powerless and empower individuals rather than just replace it with some other you know crazy totalitarian alternative so a a absolutely and i would say that you know the this is like jumped joseph schumpter's creative destruction like the this is about fundamentally advancing and changing the way that we do monetary transactions because of how egregiously our forms and systems of government have not only violated our privacy, but have actually created forms of lawlessness because of their inability to control this, this fiat system and the way it's eating us. Um, and so like, when I say burn it down, like I'm not meaning literally burn it down. And furthermore, you know, Bitcoin is what it is and it's inherently nonviolent, which is, you know, in my opinion, the thing that allows for it to move from this jurisdiction of just being radical and revolutionary to actually being messianic is that uh, like it is a nonviolent apparatus that we're using and the form of power that we're creating, uh, it, it, it's a constituent one as opposed to a constituent one. Like we're not all, like we're withdrawing. And what's interesting is that because the control is so tight and locked down on everybody, that action of withdrawal 
becomes the truly revolutionary movement that doesn't just change the system, but it kind of changes everything across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, 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 it's powerful, it's important, and it's super cool to see that the dialogue's finally changing, that uh, people are getting that. And I always thought that this was one of the fun secrets is that like through Bitcoin's modeling itself as being an apolitical money, like it actually politicizes itself because of the way that all other monies are so do- deeply politicized. Yeah. Yeah, it's super interesting. I, I like that idea of like withdrawal. I think there, I saw a major Bitcoin battle uh, or Twitter battle between uh, a bunch of people and Chris, this guy named Chris Sky who was saying that. Oh, know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was essentially saying that. I, I think he was like to really summarize and the argument. His his argument was that like going and protesting and yelling about how bad and the lockdowns and stuff are, is way more productive than buying Bitcoin and withdrawing from the system and creating you know a parallel uh, economy. And I think it it's the converse. Like we're we're doing really powerful, meaningful things in defunding the state and starving the beast and you know protecting ourselves from them being able to steal our assets to fund their endeavor yeah like we're we're actually engaging in a long-term strategy now as opposed to matriarchal because like that and i totally get it like it feels really good to get out there and be like yeah like fuck the state like i want to resist like i'm fighting back like there there's a personal emotional physical feeling that feels really good uh but does it actually make a difference absolutely not like is it actually dangerous fuck yeah like now that now they know who you are and you like you get put on the bad kids list uh and it's pretty clear now that like there is a very large list of the bad kids and it's pretty clear that we're now implementing all of the means for this uh you know if, if we were to talk about uh, the most radical forms of panoptic power being created, you know, just five years ago in, in, in 2016. You know, I, I will, if you told me the stuff that was getting deployed now in the way that they were doing it, I would say there's no fucking way that people would let that happen in five years. No way. Um, which is also weird and interesting that like a lot of my work deals with this idea of like the state of emergency being utilized for like totalitarian governments to essentially implement their, you know, plans. And this pandemic lined up pretty perfectly well with it. And it's uh, really scary to see how quickly people are giving over power uh, and how and how cool they are with being like, yeah, like, you know, if, if you're not doing all the vaccine mandates for your business, like your business should be cut off from banking and like you should get shut down. Um, and look, like I... I, I don't want to discount the dangers of this pandemic or who it's hurt or how many people are dying. What I just want to point out is that this shit was never supposed to be on the table. Like, it, you know, we've, we've had many, many, many health crises happen in this country, and we have never had stuff like this be tolerated or allowed. Uh, and it's really scary. And what I'm seeing are that these political systems and forms of democracy not only are egregiously failing us and actually getting our, our rights recognized, but it, it's the most powerful apparatus in making sure that they all get stripped from us. And so we need alternative methods to protect ourselves individually. And we're only gonna get that through, through you know, using stuff like Bitcoin. 
but it's also syncing up with other Bitcoiners and starting to, to essentially start a process of balkanization. We're like, we're, we're creating our own small collectives, individual networks that know each other and how to exchange. And I also think as things get more radical and extreme, you know, like I've had, I've had many friends in text who are like, look, when, when they like come to steal all your property and everything, like, come on down. Uh, and I hope that I'll never have to actually utilize those invitations. But, you know, we live in pretty scary and interesting times. So we need to actually start thinking about how we're going to defeat this system long term in a logical way. And as much as I empathize with Chris Sky and what he's trying to do, it, let's be clear, it's matriarch. And, and it's not going to help. It's actually pretty dangerous and it's going to make you a target to be picked off individually. And if you really want to do something, start thinking strategically, start moving your wealth into a way that, that you can protect it and all of the other different ways. You know, That's one of the cool things about Bitcoin is that as much as we're talking about Bitcoin, we're also talking about fiat food, about, uh, well, fiat food's the biggest one that comes to mind, but really changing our time preferences so that instead of us thinking about how we're going to get through next week, we're thinking about how we're going to get through the next two generations. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's huge. And I, I recently went to the city of Tucson, tried to implement uh, vax mandates on city employees. And I went to a protest uh, kind of to witness it, uh, not to really engage in it because I don't believe you know, going out and protesting is really productive. And, you know, the things that you're saying, like, I felt so exposed, you know, it was like being watched by the cops. You had your Antifa like people, you know, show up and start arguing. And, you know, fortunately they didn't get uh, violent, but if that happened, that could have been, you know, dangerous. And, and it seems, you know, very, very weak. And it, I think like a rational, uh, response to this is just to to mandates and you know if you don't believe in it is to just say okay we're done with the system and we're exiting you know it's not we're going to go out and like demand that the rulers change their minds or or pretend like they actually care what we're saying they just haven't heard our opinion yet um it's kind of taking matters into your own hands and and doing it in a way that's nonviolent and actually powerful and tactically um advantageous you know because like getting thrown in again like you just look at january 6th like what did that accomplish for anybody it just furthered the security state yeah and like that that's what i really wish everyone would understand across the board is like look like this this isn't working and, and like not is it just broken but like it's it's dangerous now and like the, this idea that if we just vote for the right politician, if we just pass the right law, if we, if we just protest just enough, we'll get it. Like it's, I, I'm sorry, I empathize, but it's foolish. It's foolish. And at this point it's dangerous. Hmm. You know, like it, it's pretty clear that uh, it's power is continuing to expand. Uh, it really wants to make these vaccine passports. Um, and it's very clear that like, this isn't actually about, you know, the safety and security of individuals through giving us vaccines and making us safe. Um, perhaps there's a component of it, you know, like, uh, but at the end of the day, like, it's pretty foolish to have any understanding of history and to think that, that this is good, you know? And, 
and I know it, it outrages people to make this comparison at times, but like we need to understand that data was an extremely key component of how the Holocaust happened. They had all these documents saying, hey, check it out. Like, you're a Jew. So, like, I can fucking kill you now. Uh, and, like, when they were originally assembling all of this documents, they, like, had all of their excuses for why they needed this data and why it was important. But it's very dangerous with an understanding of history. And so, um, you know, at this point, people that want to go out and protest like that, congratulations. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I hope it makes you feel better because it's not accomplishing anything. I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings, but like, join us, think strategically. Like, uh, and I guess that's the other thing that's really important about Bitcoin is I feel like until uh, you've had your moment, uh, you know, your epiphany moment about Bitcoin, uh, it can seem like protesting is the solution. But I think that that aha moment for Bitcoin is so key because like it allows for this unlocking to realize like, oh, I can't, like we can build a different system. There is a possibility to actually resist in a meaningful way that is nonviolent, can actually protect your assets and other things. Uh, but for so many people, they don't have that aha moment. And it, it's tragic too, because like I, I know many people that would identify themselves as being on the left or the far left. And to me, like, I would think that this would be the key thing that would just have them drop everything and, and run over to understand. But alas, you know, here, here we are. But yeah, the nonviolent component is extremely important because I feel like it actually gives us uh, the truly the political method to actually change things by creating a new system. Yeah, exactly. And like engaging in violence and protest is really bad because that's the state's, you know, realm. And it, like, if you look at uh, mixed martial arts, for example, you know, Conor McGregor uh, sucks on the ground. He has very poor jujitsu, you know, and for him to go down and try and take somebody to the ground that is superior in that to, than he is, um, is a really, really poor strategy. And so he'll try and stand up and he gets demolished on the ground. That's why he's continued to lose over and over again. And it's like, it, it's even more extreme when you're dealing with the state that has endless resource and weapons. Like, um, it's just, I, I think it's really, really stupid to try and like engage in, in violence against the state at this point with where we're at. Oh, absolutely. Like it, it you know, and, and it's not to, Look, like, perhaps it would feel great and perhaps it's justified, but, like, it's just not going to work, you know? And, and any inkling towards violence, like, that allows for the entire security apparatus to, like, activate and go do whatever it wants to do. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and again, that's part of what, you know, and like, that's why my website is crypto sovereignty and not Bitcoin sovereignty. It, it's, you know, Bitcoin is the apex of how we establish this totally new sovereign system. But cryptography is what powers the whole thing, you know, and, and, and to me, the, the important, like, if, if you're one of these rabble rousers that wants to go out these protests and, like, you're, you're really committed to actually creating change, like, go, go do the real work to create change. Like, you know, figure out how to use the dark nets, understand how to use peer-to-peer -peer cryptography, understand why Bitcoin is actually allowing you to do this. Get all your wealth out of the banks, you know? Like I saw Chris Sky was so critical. He was like, oh, look, you know, you can't, if you have a bank account, like shut the fuck up or whatever. And it's like, 
look like we're, we're all going to continue to need to to play citizen as we need to but there's another identity that we can have as well and it's going to be a very important one in the future and when it's time to to make that change like be ready for it you know and and uh like this is one of the cool things i got from talking to people in miami is that like we're out here at the foreground talking about all this stuff happening but like they're they're like these sleeper cells buried everywhere who are like deep in, in these like three-lettered agencies and stuff too you know like it, it's a, a real fight club kind of idea of like look like this is project mayhem and like everybody is already understanding what's going on and is reorganizing for it um and to me like that's kind of the most exciting thing is like there's all of this underground movement that's happening uh that isn't you know not only is it really important and is creating this general infrastructure that we need uh but it's also like a super cool aesthetics to have too that like we're part of these you know secret networks that are operating to like help one another create the freedom and liberty that they want to have and have a private life that's meaningful and full and you know blessed versus kind of the the fiat gray despondency of nihilism mm-hmm. i think that's why bitcoin meetups are so important like we've absolutely yeah. um you know, there's a word for like the meeting of community uh, in Sanskrit for, for like essentially in the Hindu community when when people get together with their community and they like have these sort of spiritual awakenings occur from it, and it's called satsang, uh, and and both from my own experience and from at this point more than a dozen Bitcoiners, like they they've had that experience as well, just being with other Bitcoiners. Uh, and I know for me, this is very true too, is uh, particularly with my political views and standpoints, like it, it's very isolating and difficult out in the world uh, if I want to actually be my truest self and honest. But when I meet up with Bitcoiners, it's meeting up with my brothers and sisters who uh, speak and think like I do. And it is such a rejuvenating and um, brightening experience for me. You know, like I, I I feel like, like after Miami, I felt so uh, just open hearted because of how much love I was experiencing, but like a true human uh, agape kind of, of love, like this, this like, oh, we're actually participating in something that is bigger than us and like actually is important. And if we play our cards right, a century into the future, we'll be celebrated as heroes who actually helped get this ball rolling and getting it to where it needed to go to actually make sure that people have free money in terms of them being able to, to have an open network that respects their privacy is fair across the board and isn't giving benefits to, you know, individuals of government or of wealth and power over any other. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty crazy to think on that time, time scale. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that you kind of, circling back to the protester again, you know, they're thinking in very high time preference, you know, they're reacting, trying to um, stop something that's already happening versus, you know, thinking the long term of dismantling the structure that's creating the circumstances that they're unhappy with. And yeah, it's there. 
I, I made a pretty firm commitment to keep the Bitcoin meetups going regardless of, you know, future lockdowns, if they happen it right now, we're looking pretty good in Arizona. Um, but you know, they, they shut down the entire society and I don't think that, um, they're going to shrug at the opportunity to do it again in the future. And it's for that reason, you know, like it, it yeah, is, I mean, yeah, it, it's deployed now. Like they, they know they can do it. They know we'll respond to it. Um, <laughs> you know, like it, it's one of the things I've been fascinating since, since the beginning of the pandemic is just how powerful uh, all the propaganda is and, and how much I sincerely don't know what's true anymore. Uh, and it's really scary because like that, that's sort of a one-time move that like government can completely bankrupt its ability to tell truth. Uh, and I think it's really important because, you know, uh, I think at this point you can be like, oh, like I can't understand anything that's coming out anymore. Like, I think I just need to admit that it's broken and it's time to move on. Um, you know, and furthermore to the political thing, like I, I want to emphasize like how much I empathize because I was right there for the longest time. And like, there's this deep idea of hope that you have established that like, if we can just get the right thing to happen, uh, and I'm sorry, it's, it's just not true. And the other one is, is that uh, it's really daunting and overwhelming, particularly if you don't have the understanding like Bitcoin of we do of like, how do you actually disassemble this system in any meaningful way on a long-term scale? And it just doesn't seem possible, you know? Um, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why, again, coming back to Bitcoin, if people are worried about the political situation, like this is the key to them understanding because it allows for a long-term viewpoint to disassemble it. You know, another thing that I've been getting much more hard up on recently is like, look like it's time to get in the lifeboat. Like the thing is fucking sinking. Like anybody with two eyeballs and two brain cells can put that together. Like it, it's, the math doesn't work. Uh, like if you just read the news, like all of these projections, like nothing looks good. Uh, you know, particularly with this Monday with the shit that's coming out of China and stuff like, yeah, it looks like contagion is a very real thing. Um, and like, because we're in the middle of it, like, it's so hard for people to see like how radically different the monetary system is right now from any other time in human history. Like, they they created more money in the last year than was like even in fucking existence before 2008. And like that, that money is coming to the system and the Cantillon effect is about to blow out fucking hard. And so like, whatever your, your preference is, you know, uh, inflation is coming. It's going to hurt a lot of people very dramatically. If they have their, you know, money in any kind of normal asset, particularly bonds or just money itself, like prepare to get fucked. And so pretty much everybody who I've met, I've been like, look, if you want a lifeboat, that's not going to inflate away. Like you need to own some Bitcoin, do everything you can to understand it now. Um, and then they usually try to ask me about it and I give them some, you know, some deep rabbit hole, wacky answer that confuses them more and it helps them. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the other things that, you know, I'm looking at is like the supply chain issues have been ridiculous. And so there's the monetary aspect of it, but you know, it's so bad right now too. There's the physical goods aspect of it of, you know, we're starting to see rationing happen around the country because there's such 
large shortages and it's so difficult to, you know, do things like furnish a house or, you know, you get these extremely long wait times and it's not going to get any better anytime soon with, you know, what's going on, the breakdowns in China and, um, well, a great way to think about it is like, uh, you know, like money is the, the liquid that our economy runs on. It's, it's gasoline, if you will, you know, and essentially what happened was like, because of the coronavirus, everything got really sludged up, you know, it was almost like putting oil in the engine, which was causing its own problems to not be working. So we like cut the thing as much as we fucking could. And then we dumped all that into the engine and it fired it up super hard. But because of that, we have all of this disharmony in the engine. And so all of these problems are starting to break down that are, you know, they're on these tertiary levels that aren't obvious or forward right away. Um, you know, like this is the constant problem of government regulation. It's, you know, like, duh, we'll like change this thing. And they think that the, the economy is a static item that isn't dynamically responding to them. And lo and behold, like these are the kind of situations we get. You know, and, and for me personally, you know, like with these supply chain issues and seeing all this stuff, it was very clear to me, like, I, I think being in a city is a, a great plan to find yourself on the east side of the wall of that balkanization, mm-hmm. um, you know, and like, get to a place that like you can grow your own food where like you can know somebody that like has goats or cows that you can get stuff from, like you should probably have chickens or be getting your eggs locally. Uh, and only, and like, also you're going to get like way higher quality food and have great conversations with people and meet your neighbors and feel better because you're not supporting this fucked up agriculture Holocaust going on. Um, you know, but, and to me, like, these are also the systems that are going to build up that are going to create these new collectives and networks and, you know, uh, uh, essentially the remnant that's going to be able to find themselves as a functional society outside of uh yeah and like i hate to just call it kind of communism because like it's 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 not it's it's this weird like corporate communism that's like this weird like half aborted amalga of like both things smashed together with the shittiest parts of both uh but that's kind of what it is it's going to be you know you you're going to get like your walmart coin that's like paid directly to you from the u.s government while you get to go like you know like you'll have your time at like 3 30 a.m like every other wednesday for like two hours that you can go into walmart to like get like get all of your goods as quickly as you can yeah that that brings up something funny i i've had a few people in the past shell me a shit coin that they argue has value because walmart's using it but yeah so you mentioned a couple of things so like moving out of the cities that's something that i've done um personally because i don't want to be trapped in a really bad dangerous situation um something that laser hodl has been saying a lot is make tyranny more expensive and i think when you move out of the city uh it makes it a lot more difficult to to corral and control uh individuals so i think that's really powerful um and then you mentioned the remnant uh which has been a topic i've been you know focusing on a lot uh, alex Svetsky uh brought that up a couple of weeks ago when i had him on and and gave me some assigned reading to read Isaiah's job, uh, which is really, you know, interesting piece. Uh, I think it's incredibly powerful. Um, what's, what's kind of your understanding of, or belief of like, what is this remnant, uh, that's being described by, you know, people? 
well, I would just call it like a remnant of people, like actual human beings. Because yeah. um, like the Borg is pretty much like absorbing everybody right now. Um, and as much as like, I would like to think people are like hyper aware of it and like trying to respond, like it, it's pretty clear that like most people are not going to make it. Um, you know, and like, if you're going to make it, you need to like kind of go through this basic like cypherpunk boot camp and like get your wealth into Bitcoin. But it's also like figuring out, you know, like we're in the very beginning of this process, which is essentially everybody's kind of extracting and rescuing themselves like from fiatism. And so like, I think this next portion is kind of like the wandering where like everybody kind of sets up their own little spot and people will kind of amalgamate in different places. But, you know, like it's, uh, I think for the next while, it's going to feel kind of like a listlessness of like a wandering people. Um, you know, and we're already seeing that with, uh, I know that there are Bitcoiners that are expats from both Canada and Australia who like aren't going back and they can't go back and won't go back. And like, that's kind of part of this remnant. And I think it's uh, the way that essentially we're going to be holding together our own culture and that through the sacrifices and changes that we've been willing to make and the sort of aesthetics and values that we create, there's going to be a whole new culture that we've created and is going to blossom out of essentially Bitcoiners. But it's not just like Bitcoin's kind of like the main object of our reverence but it's also a total change in form of lifestyle that i i would say is fundamentally like anti-fiatism you know so it understands the lowest of time preferences i think there'll be this aesthetic amongst the remnant of these very low time preference things like you know i think individuals that have long-term orchards established will be kind of seen as this uh you know very uh beautiful and important thing that like all bitcoiners are supposed to have and that like you know bitcoiners of the remnant like have their their ranches and their food networks established so that they'll operate into perpetuity in addition to like they'll probably have different and various long-term exchanges established with other remnants and eventually these remnants as they sort of coalesce those eventually form you know essentially what will be citadels which will be the forefront of what I hope to be essentially this new network uh, uh, of city states that will eventually kind of fall under, you know, I, I hope it would look something similar to like a, the Holy Roman Empire with, you know, you have these amalgam of like 500 different principalities, but they're all sort of federated under this one generalized agreement that essentially is Bitcoin. Yeah, it, it's fascinating to think about how that plays out and we're seeing it. You know, we're seeing that the, the move, one of, one of the things you mentioned is like this, um, I, I forgot how you said it, but it was like the food genocide or something like that. Um, oh, yeah, the agricultural holocaust. Yeah. I mean, like, it, it, you know, anybody who's gone into any kind of industrial farm, like, this is fucking horrible. Like, these, these are actual, like, living beings. Uh, and furthermore, like, you're going to put it in your body, dude. Like, Jesus Christ, like, do you want to eat something that's been wandering around on its own shit for its entire life? Like, ugh, you know? Um, and that's also part of fiatism, I think, is this uh, lobotomization of, like, not understanding that, like, your consumerism is actually, like, linked to this whole network. Uh, and to me, like, that's one of the other important things about essentially, like, getting onto this Bitcoin standard is that, like, uh, you know, like, I think consumerism is, like, a nice thing. It's, like, good to live in, like, a warm home and, like, have technology and all of these things. 
but we can totally shorten down that network and localize it much more deeply. Uh, and, and even beyond just the localism, you know, really selecting spots where we want to support people. And to me, like as uh, these Bitcoin exchange network grows, like that's sort of the, the greatest preference is that like, as more and more people transact and use only Bitcoin, I'm going to make the decision if there's two guys selling eggs, I'm going to buy eggs from the guy who sells it for Bitcoin, you know, because I want to give him Bitcoin. And I know similarly, I'm going to only accept Bitcoin. And then we got this great circular network going. Yeah, that's something that we're working on is it in Arizona is something along the lines of that. I don't want to go into too many details, but I, I think like the introduction of Bitcoin into farmers markets, uh, where local food growers that are practicing actual uh, ethical and sustainable practices is so, so incredibly empowering. And, you know, this, this movement around regenerative agriculture is really fascinating to me, I think is one of the more incredibly important things and that's happening right now. Absolutely. Yeah. That coupled with, you know, and I was just going to also point out, you know, for, for farmers specifically, like, let's be clear, like you guys were on the forefront of a lot of wars that governments has had against people in these small levels, you know? And so like, if you're, you know, if you're a goat milk farmer and you want to sell raw milk, like I welcome you to sell raw milk openly and like accept Bitcoin. And then when the state comes to absolutely crush you, because you know what, I think uh, one person dies every three years of raw milk or something. You know, meanwhile, you can go get your opioids that kill 50,000. Anyways, um, you know, like, and these are all the networks I want to see start generating. You know, furthermore, I'd like to see people in uh, states where cannabis is illegal to grow cannabis and sell it for Bitcoin. You know, I'm like, these are all the really important things that I think are, is going to develop over the next decade. Um, and it's super cool because I feel like we're at, uh, like we're at the very beginning of like all of this really important changes. Like the last 10 years of Bitcoin was really about all of its technical development, making the network more robust, uh, like getting this sort of monetary base infused into it. And so like the upcoming decade is about like all of these new networks that are gonna form around Bitcoin and create these powerful counter-economic responses to fiatism. Um, and, it, and it's just really exciting because people really need something like this, you know, like the, to me, like, that's the thing that's the most important about Bitcoin is it's, it, it's not, it's about this recognition that there is a possibility of self-sovereignty and empowerment in this world. And that through that recognition, like it activates this entirely, this extremely powerful thing inside of people to where they become somebody that they never expected they could have the power to become. Uh, and to me, like, that's the thing I am really excited about because I've seen that activate in several people. And it, uh, yeah, it makes them so much bigger and more powerful than they ever expected themselves to be. Um, and that's really what Bitcoin is about because when we have that self-empowerment of knowing that our wealth is protected, we can provide for ourselves, we can give to our families, that we can be self-sovereign we start to actually be able to become bigger and step into this role that I think at this point in time is, uh, you know, almost the destiny of our generation is, is to, to reclaim the form of politics that was reserved only for us, you know, and that, that was promised to us 
not only in the Declaration of Independence and the Rights of Man, but you know, just going back to the the values of both the Magna Carta and the Twelve Tablets, that there are simply certain rights that men are dignified to give to themselves and only themselves. And it's time that we reclaim that for ourselves and we can use this tool to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I did a, I was at a Bitcoin conference in Nebraska a couple of weeks ago and I did a presentation on uh, time preference. And, uh, you know, one of the slides I brought up was Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I was explaining uh, how pretty much all of the state actions that have happened you know, for a long time are attacking those basic needs of people and how disempowering it is and how it uh, kind of psychologically keeps people stuck in this fiat thinking and fiat system. And I think like the, the transformation you're talking about, you know, with Bitcoin is there's so much power and security and I guess not necessarily, yeah, empowerment from having a money that can't get confiscated, censored, and and is not being debased, and how much of a radical um, change that is for people to cover that base layer of, you know, personal security. Where, um, I mean, you're just seeing, you know, attacks left and right. So, like the Biden administration wants to uh, monitor every transaction over six hundred dollars. Uh, Tucson specifically is trying to attack all sorts of cash transactions that are happening uh, to bring it into um, the ability to be taxed and confiscated. And I think like looking at it from, you know, just like a basic level of like that, that Maslow hierarchy of needs is one of my favorite uh, illustrations to give to people to understand, you know, basic psychology of like, you have to hit, like if you're triaging, you know, if you have somebody that doesn't have security, is on the, uh, or struggling, you know, mentally, emotionally, maybe has substance abuse, um, you have to go back to the, like the base layer of like, okay, you take care of security, um, you take care of, you know, these other basic needs, uh, you'd look at relationships, and now you can start talking about stepping into purpose and meaning. But if somebody's like really unstable in their life, you know, trying to tell them like, oh, you just need to, you know, step into a higher calling and purpose. It, it's, they struggle to, to understand that or attain that. I think it's, yeah. I like Absolutely. You know, and like that, to, to me, like that's really what modernity is about on a whole. And like, I don't want to blame just the state, like it's the allies of corporatism have, have absolutely in the technological age, uh, taken this to to a hyper place that like it was never possible without technology but like everything's made to disempower you and enslave you I mean I know that there are so many people out there that are working shitty low-wage jobs who come home and are absolutely crushed because of not only all the garbage that's thrown at them day in and day out but like you're paid this slave wage for it it feels inescapable you have all these ads inundating you about, you know, that your body's not good looking enough, that you're, you're not fit enough, you're not smart enough, you're not rich enough. It's, you know, and all of these things to really break you down. And it, it's unfortunate about how much it really takes away from stuff. Um, okay, good. My life broke down. You know, and, and I know from my experience with understanding Bitcoin and the empowerment it created in me, 
that that was a really important step that is allowing me to progress now and, and become somebody that I didn't expect myself to become. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, and I actually have an essay written about this, about the, what I call uh, the pedagogy of Bitcoin that's based off of uh, Paulo Freed's book, The Pedagogy of the Oppressed, which essentially, you know, the, this is what uh, Paulo Freed calls a consensero, uh, which is, is this idea uh, of critical consciousness raising. Mm-hmm. And essentially educating people like, look, like the financial system's like the main tool they use to oppress you and keep you under their thumb. And if we can teach you about Bitcoin and the self-empowerment and the self-sovereignty that you get from holding your own Bitcoin and your own wealth there, uh, like you're, the, the kind of oppression that you suffer under is no longer actually viable. Uh, and furthermore, there becomes all the, these new modes that you can have to actually not just have personal security, but also to continue to build your own wealth in a way that the state can't just whittle it away from you. Um, and I think we're at that place right now, and I'm really excited to see how much wonderful Bitcoin content is out there and has been generated for people to understand it deeper. Because uh, now we have all these people attacking it from all these different directions and kind of describing Bitcoin in all these different ways that nobody had before. And I think it's really, really helpful for people from all sorts of different walks of life life and perspective to be able to really get a deeper understanding of how Bitcoin can help them and how it can serve them explicitly in their own context. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. How do, how do you think Bitcoin has changed uh, your view on parenting and hmm. power to you there? That's a great question. Um, I think about my death more intimately in terms of that I will die and like I need to figure out how my Bitcoin is going to actually be inherited by my kids. Um, and so I think that's one spot, but I think just the whole change in time preference to become lower. Um, first of all, I think that helped me recognize like, you know, why I have two children now uh, and not like I wanted another child because my low time preference essentially that I knew I'd get old one day. Uh, and if, you know, something cataclysmic happened to my first child, I want a backup, you know, like that's the very detached, emotionless view of it. Uh, you know, the, the other was uh, I didn't feel the same anxiety I felt my entire life about how was I going to provide um, because I actually had this real object of savings. Uh, and granted, with all of its volatility and blah, 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 you know, I have real conviction and faith about uh, its ability to deflate over time and more people don't want to own this unseizable, hardest asset that there is. Uh, and that faith of like having real savings, like not like just numbers in a bank account, but an actual object that I, I feel like people would have revered like gold at one point in time and the way that gold was probably passed from generation to generation. Um, I feel like I now have an actual nest egg that's like worth something that I can pass on to my kids, which has really helped me just uh the idea of even having something like that to pass on to your kids like allows for you to think deeper. And I ultimately think that these are really important thoughts about death. You know, I'm like, we are going to die. It's important to understand we will die. And how do we want to be prepared for our death? Um, because although I'm absolutely not ready to die, I want to be prepared to die. And I think that's one of the ideas that Bitcoin has really given me is uh, how am I going to prepare to die in a meaningful way so that when it does come, I'm ready for it and I can actually take care of it and handle it. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, I, uh, I've definitely like thought about stuff like that a lot. The idea of, uh, I, uh, 
getting lost. Let me gather my thoughts. So like my dad died pretty when I was pretty young, when I was like uh, 15. And so that um, put, you know, death kind of like right in my face. And I think like a lot, a lot of people are, are disconnected from death. It's, it's interesting. I, I studied this in school was uh, how the industrial revolution changed our relationship with death, death, where it became a lot less intimate. And we didn't, you know, see it when you had 70% of the population spread out and farming, you know, somebody died, the, the dead body would actually be in their home and there'd be more of a, you know, connection to that. And you, you contrast that today where it's so far removed, where oftentimes people die alone in hospitals and, you know, old people homes. And, um, it's, it's interesting to see people's responses to this, this, you know, pandemic where they're so terrified of the possibility of death when it's, you know, one of the most natural and the only thing that is like for sure going to happen to us in life. And so it's interesting to hear you kind of talk about that is like how Bitcoin has. Yeah. I think that's really what fiatism is at the end of the day and, and actually really is statism is because is like this is all a projection of actual biopower. And that's like the state is able to maintain its power through the idea that gives you life. Uh, and I think particularly because we're so deep into modernity uh, of, you know, this hyper uh, high time preference culture that wants to sell you things continuously, that you only have value as a working body that can be a consumer. Uh, so everything in the society is about getting us as far away from the possibility of understanding or thinking about our death. Uh, and it's really about trying to create the most inauthentic form of existence that there can be, which is one that doesn't understand that you will die. And that's important. And I think it's really interesting that you hear from these, uh, you know, like powerful tech VCs about their own pedantic fantasies of like not wanting to fucking die. Um, and it's pathetic. It's childish. You know, like I'm, you will die. Uh, I think it's pretty funny that like you're haunted by it so much that you want to try to create technologies to live forever. Uh, but furthermore, like we we detach from from that our death can be a good thing, and that it it not only allows for us to come to terms with our own actual limits in the world, but our ability to figure out what's the legacy I want to leave. How how do I want to become the person that I can die, and I can feel good about who that person was and the legacy I left behind. Mm -hmm. And with fiatism, it's kind of impossible to do that because like the there's no way to save money in a meaningful way to pass it on to everybody, anybody. Uh, you, you're always kind of hyper vigilant about the state being able to come and, 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 you know, tax you out of existence or take things away from you. Um, and furthermore, you know, the, the way that this pandemic has, um, you know, it's hard for me to, to, to talk about this and not feel kind of spiteful because like I, I really just feel like it's, uh, you know, like my parents generation, I just feel like they're, they're really cowards at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. You know, like they, I think they're very greedy and, um, you know, like I, I have a very bitter taste in my mouth because like I feel like most of the problems of the world today, I don't want to say are their fault, but like they definitely didn't make a strong effort to try to stop it. And furthermore, uh, they really seem to want to stand in the way. And for me, the last straw was, uh, you know, like however you feel about this pandemic or not, it seems to be dramatically affecting the older than the younger. Um, 
also like it, you know once you get below 50 it seems like the death rate you know is comparable to the flu and furthermore i think there's only like a couple hundred of children that have died from covid in the united states which is much less than the flu annually yeah at the end of the day like i say sequester the old let us get back to life and the fact that they want to violently violate pretty much every single right that was afforded to us under the constitution but also create all these other crazy networks of panoptic power that i want to be very clear they have no fucking understanding at all how this shit functions to them it's all just magic in the computer uh which enrages me even more about how gross their misunderstanding of how this technology functions is and how they're so willing to give it away to the powers that be because of their own fear and terror of wanting to live for a couple more years um to to me that's that's horrific and gross uh, and i'm sorry like my answer is it you know do i want to be selfish and see that you die uh, yeah if it means you want to stop all of society on the other side yes and if you want to push me into an encampment that makes me your enemy that that's my truth like i don't think it, it's fair or worthwhile to shut down society, to shut down schools, to traumatize children. Uh, but more importantly, to create a culture of fear and terror where death is the, the thing that must be prevented at all causes. How about we talk about making death meaningful and actually being able to approach it in a way where we're not just terrified by it and that we accept it as part of our life. Um, you know, and, and, and I just feel very angry about all of these facts that are put in front of me. Like I'm supposed to pay social security. Meanwhile, it, you know, it's this fun joke that like, ha you won't have social security when you're old. You know, it's always given to you that way. Like, fuck you. You know, like I, I contributed as much to the system as, as you are, if not even more, and I'm not supposed to get anything for it. And that's just one of the things that I've, I've found so upsetting about what's going on is that uh, everything just feels two-faced. You know, and like nothing's really sincere. And at the end of the day, they want to have this collectivist sacrifice to make sure that the, the old are going to survive for a few more years. Meanwhile, you know, like most uh, of, uh, you know, the generation that's 35 and under is left pretty close to poverty. So uh, end of my rant there. I, I just, you know, it hurts more than anything. It, it hurts to, to be part of a society that wants to sacrifice its youth like that. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you on that. And what's interesting, my my mom might not even get Social Security uh, where we're at. Uh, so it's not yeah. just us not getting it. But yeah, I mean, I I think the idea of like the older generations being cowardly, like that right now is not a time to be a coward. It, it's a time of what I believe is non-compliance. Like we we just see the stuff happening in. I, I think part of the reason they're, I think they're intentionally trying to traumatize the population in order to push through these changes because when people are terrified, they're a lot more compliant. Um, but yeah, I mean, you just like, I had a break, few breakdowns uh, over the past year where I just was so fed up with it. You know, more kids have died in Tucson of, of suicide than of COVID. You know, there's been, I don't, I don't know, maybe like 30 suicides in like one maybe one COVID death, you know, of a kid. Um, and then, you know, school districts in Los Angeles, or sorry, Las Vegas had a, um, like, this is not the future that I would want to bring somebody into where this is the norm. And so I think it's interesting. It, it, we've seen things like homeschool movements grow up and, and be 
become huge. And I'm a huge pro- supporter of that, um, of, of getting kids away from the state indoctrination and kind of going back to the, the conversation of like, um, you know, how does Bitcoin influence your parenting? Like, how do you explain and talk to your kids about this stuff? <laughs> That's, uh, these are great questions. Um, you know, my, my kids are in a private charter school. Uh, well, my one who's old enough to be, uh, and it's great. You know, like they have forest days all the time. And uh, before that, he was at a Montessori school where, you know, they taught him about God and that there is this other force in the world and you have a soul and this great stuff. Um, yeah, it's pretty hard because, like, my, my son, he, he's, like, a real smart, serious kid, too. He's six right now. Um, so I, I explain it to him as straightforward as I can, you know, and I tell him, look, like, I – you know, daddy's been participating in this movement for a while, you know, and like, we fundamentally want to change what money is, you know, and like, well, why do you want to do that? Well, we believe that, you know, money should operate fairly for everybody across the board, you know, like it, it should always have the same generalized supply so that everybody knows how much it is. I usually use a pie to explain. I'm like, look, if we have a pie, And if I like bake this second pie and go, well, you know, like this is the special pie that I can only like, that's not really fair for everybody else that I introduce a whole nother pie that mixes in with the system. Um, You know, and I I really just kind of keep it at like, look, like I'm, I'm doing something I really believe in. And I think that this is the most important and substantial change that I can be doing to contribute to the world. Like he actually asked me like, you know, you're not working at a normal job anymore, dad. So like, why do you keep having these like podcast things that you're going on? I don't understand. Like, are you paid or something? And I'm like, no, like, look like this. I was like, this is my real work in the world. Like I happen to be fortunate enough that, you know, we were thoughtful and put our savings in Bitcoin and that that's worked out really well. And I now have a responsibility to go and tell other people why Bitcoin is really important and how it can protect them and how it can protect their privacy. You know? And I think another thing I've explained to him is I'm like, look, if I have a bunch of money in the car and I'm driving somewhere, and a police officer pulls me over, uh, he could just take all that money from me, you know? And like, that's not fair and it's not right, but he can do that. And that's happened to a lot of people. And I don't want that to ever happen to anybody else because I think stealing is wrong. And even if a police officer is stealing is wrong. So, you know, that's really what a lot of this stuff is about. Uh, and, and, you know, like I'm, it's going to be really fascinating to see who he becomes as a person and not just my son, but you know, there's a whole generation uh, of, you know, I guess Bitcoiners, you know, like the, the first true Bitcoiners who are raised as Bitcoiners. And it's going to be really fascinating to see like who they become as people, you know, and like, it's exciting to think about the idea of high school students whose dads were hardcore OG Bitcoiners who like, when their school district's fucking up, like they can figure out some way to like definance the school district and like redirect all funds using Bitcoin or something like that. Or maybe like, you know, kids sports teams has their own treasuries. Cause I think that's one of the other things that'll start to like come along that people will figure out is that like, uh, essentially like education networks are these really powerful collectives that are, are self-enforcing and mutualized. And that really having the state involved is not only this parasitic thing that like fucks it all up, but it introduces all of these really weird morals and creates authoritarian structures, uh, you know, that are parasitic and like that'll push up into the high school and secondary levels. And then eventually to college where I think like uh, once we have like a radicalized movement of Bitcoiners, uh, like in four year institutions, 
talking about how they're going to like renew their actual universities to like be for them there's going to be some really cool stuff that gets activated and i think these are all the 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 sort of anarcho syndicalist things that i was talking about early on about how we'll see all these new networks bubble up and they're becoming these mutual networks of solidarity that that force radical change because of the way that they're actually attacking the thing that's meaningful they're going after the money instead of protesting outside with their signs yeah yeah i mean the the idea of raising kids is really really interesting because you know i grew up in somewhat of a status family totalitarian structure uh very very strict religious um values and became a bit of an anarchist and then i've seen people that have grown up in you know free freer structures and and have become um totalitarian anarch or um totalitarian status um so it's it's really the idea of like raising kids and um you know the different things and influences on them and allowing them to grow and like how your values uh are brought into parenting i think is a very very interesting conversation for sure absolutely and i think it's one that most people uh you know just go to the general unaware that there is around fiatism and kind of that financing. I don't think there's ever a grander conversation that can happen. And, you know, I think it's a very natural conversation that will, you know, is already occurring for a lot of Bitcoiners. And, and as more people turn to it, it'll be a sensible integration, you know. And like, I'm sure as my son gets older, like he'll realize like, oh, like dad's really big about Bitcoin because of his whole like anti-war stance and like, you know, he'll, he'll learn more about my own history. And like, you know, uh, part of why I'm so urgently anti-war is like, you know, my father fought or my grandfather fought in World War II. Uh, and just on his deathbed, he shared some pretty dramatic stories about like killing other men with knives and like having to hold them dying and how he was like, this will never, ever become clean. And like, you know, I'm like, he was a, he was a really great man his whole life. And like on his deathbed, you know 60 some odd years later like that's the thing that haunted him and he like made me promise that i'd never kill people to him and i never realized how substantial and important that was for me but but it was this truly important thing that i hope when i share all of these facts with my own son he'll be like like right fucking on like i i have this you know family dynastic obligation not to kill people because of you know the horrors that it brought upon my great grandfather and i want to make sure that i continue a legacy that my father wanted to continue to live on for him yeah yeah those family legacies are powerful and i think like kind of going back to i mean i think the idea of death and and familiarizing ourselves with it and becoming more comfortable with it is important because the fact that life is finite is what makes you know the things we do today powerful and you know if we were to live forever you know it it wouldn't that our actions wouldn't really have a ton of meaning behind them in the same way i think and you know that's something that i found incredibly powerful about you know my my father's death of like um you know, going and looking at the legacy that he passed on and seeing the people that his life's touched. It was a pretty powerful experience. It took me a few years to figure out of grieving to figure out it was a powerful experience. But um, yeah, it's it, it's fascinating to and, and incredibly important to think about. And yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and likewise, uh, you know, like my, my father-in-law, he committed suicide a few years ago and mm-hmm like we were left to kind of pick up all the pieces 
you know, and one of the things that really dawned on me was like, I was like, wow, like, I don't, I don't ever want to leave my family to pick up my pieces like this, you know, like, I want to make sure that when I'm dead, some lawyer manifests up out of nowhere. And he's like, Hey, I'm Eric's like, dead lawyer, guy. I'm taking care of everything, you know. Um, and furthermore, like, you know, I want this experience to go deeper of that, you know, I now will have a friend that shows up and he'll be like, all right, you know, Eric's son, like, it's time to do the key exchange. And he'll like start our Bitcoin ritual to like do the, the Bitcoin key exchange for him to inherit my legacy. But, uh, you know, I, I, it's really exciting because like this is also part of that aesthetic of the remnant that's going to start to form as well is understanding that, you know, our family's wealth and, you know, like you don't spend the Bitcoin and like, that's like the family rule, like the Bitcoin are not to be spent, like the Bitcoin are made to protect us. And I hope that, the, you know, Maybe it'll be my son or his son. There'll be like some debate at some point in time that they have to escape the country and spend some of the Bitcoin to do it. Well, like this is the one time that it's appropriate to spend the Bitcoin. But yeah, these values are going to push into our children. And it's really exciting to know that not only my children, but there's a whole slew of other children are going to be raised with a deep, low time preference that I really hope will you know, become kind of the solid foundational bonds that will create these remnant communities of that like Bitcoin is our, our core value and asset that we treat as a sacrosanct. And I know that your family does as well. And we interact with each other and, you know, help each other because of that. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, kind of wrapping up, I got one last question or, well, I think it'll be, I might ask another question, but um, what do you, what do you think like the psychological impacts of, um, lack of privacy are on a society or an individual? Um, I mean, it fundamentally transforms the individual. Like you can't, you can't actualize who you are without privacy. You know, you need the, the ability to experiment and to know you're not being monitored and to try new things and to fail and to be confused and to do things that are embarrassing or that you don't want shared. Um, like we need that as human beings, like it's an important developmental aspect of who we are. Um, and I think more importantly, it uh, like the, the disempowerment is so great and so wide that it crushes us fundamentally as human beings and like who we can be. And to me, like that's, own, that's one of the things that like I actually find is fundamentally messianic about Bitcoin is that uh, like there's this ability, like even in the totality that like is the all-powerful panopticon, that like if you are rolling and executing asymmetric cryptography correctly, like you can have actual privacy. Mm-hmm. That like no matter how powerful the thing is, like there's always a way to create privacy once again. And to me, like this is this hidden jewel that like God has ensured us just through the fundamental physics of how mathematics operates in the world that we can always find this ribosome of privacy. Uh, and I think Bitcoin, you know, is part of that great equation that gives us the ability to attain privacy once again and know that we can have that because it's, it's through that privacy and the personal, you know, what, what is to be called the private self, you know, the deepest and most inner sense of who you are. Like that's something that isn't meant or supposed to be seen by anybody. And so, um, you know, I, I think, and I think that's going to be one of the things that uh, remnant culture is going to produce is that privacy will be a very deep value 
people will be very suspicious of technology and its monitoring capabilities and that people are going to roll full stacks of open source software utilizing encrypted communications. Um, and I think because of this culture that's going to be created that we're we're going to really understand once again why privacy is a right that we need as people to have developed. And I think that's going to be one thing in our culture will develop very deeply. And I think that's one thing that we're going to lose in contemporary culture. And it's very sad because I think, you know, we're essentially all going to live in, in very 1984 style worlds where, you know, like, uh, we'll like get a free television sponsored by Sony, but like it always has to be on and they're always going to be data mining whatever we're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Totally see that with the um, smart speakers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's scary how people are like, yay, like Siri can hear everything I'm saying. But yeah, I mean, yeah, you've already seen that in like places like Singapore where they've uh, had like state launches of Fitbits to like every citizen. So they're collecting, yep. I imagine. Yeah. Stuff like that's here and it's happening. Um, you got anything to, to plug? Any new writing or projects you're working on? You know, I, I've been so focused on escaping where I was and getting to my new home in the country. And like, uh, like for the past month, I've just been doing like forestry work outside, which has been super fun. I've loved, but it, it, it's taken away from some of my writing. Uh, I'm going to have a couple new things coming out, you know, uh, hopefully in the next couple months. They're writing sets I've been working on for a long time. Uh, I've just found that I'm much deeper and interested in kind of these esoteric aspects and deep philosophical aspects of bitcoin like right now the thing i'm really hung up on is like the the linguistic and semantic components and makeup like of bitcoin and like what it is as a language because like we can read it but it can't be spoken and like we can recognize it but like we can't modify it and like there's just some really really important and deep philosophical ideas going on with the actual nature of language with bitcoin uh, and then a post that, that uh, is probably going to come out sooner than that, I just call the pedagogy of Bitcoin, which deals essentially with understanding cryptography, like as an actual form of power and knowledge that like once we understand that, along with understanding what makes Bitcoin unique and important in the sea of shitcoins, essentially there's a new form of empowerment that like makes our oppression no longer viable and like we can actually create economic self-sovereignty which then pushes out into social self-sovereignty and then political self-sovereignty by the very virtue of the fact that we can possess and own our economic wealth outside and beyond the state. Awesome. And then, you know, for myself and I am really looking forward to that article. You were talking about the, that book that you were reading uh, last time we were on pedagogy of what, what's it called? Yeah. And this is the, the, the same one pedagogy of the oppressed. So hopefully that'll be coming out in the next few weeks. So um and then for for listeners for myself do you have any you know assigned reading that you would give out to people you know uh if you're still just trying to to understand stuff i always recommend Gigi's 21 lessons for for kind of the basic stuff uh and then if you just want to dive deeper into kind of my own esoteric thoughts around bitcoin my website's cryptosovereignty.org I have a couple posts pinned there and uh, people really like my, my crypto truth and power. Cause that's kind of the, I'd say that's sort of my introductory article of like where my train of thought starts from and kind of helps unfold a lot of uh, the ideas around sovereignty that I'm engaging. Awesome. I'm going to be shilling that one. It's a good one. Thanks man. 
Well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And uh, I always really appreciate your thoughtful and, and poignant questions, which is why I was excited to come back on. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to listening to this through so I can actually um, process through the stuff you're saying instead of having to think too much about questions. <laughs> but thanks for awesome, coming. man. I really appreciate it and hope that you enjoy the rest of your Monday. Yeah, that was an awesome conversation with Eric. <laughs> Love sitting down and chatting with this guy. Uh, but yeah, uh, these types of conversations get me really, really excited. This is a feature I want to move into, a feature where the individual is free to make decisions for themselves and is not just a slave to this horrific system that is just built to benefit these parasites that sit on top and and have power because of fiat authority just because they declare it. There's no legitimacy. And it's... You know, it's interesting to think about a feature like that, and it's interesting to actually take action and move towards a feature like that. And Bitcoin, you know, regardless of what we do, it, it's going to win this because people are going to adopt it because because of how broken the system is. It's just the case over and over again is that markets are the most powerful force in in history you know you just cannot stop it like people will go and get the goods the more that they hamper the markets the more that black markets rise and bitcoin is uncensorable money and it's gonna facilitate that so much more than it has in the past and yeah i'm stoked on it but yeah we got big things coming check out the arizona bitcoin network we got some awesome meetups coming up and yeah check out my other show toxic airwaves we're having a blast on there with my co-host skeef awesome conversations awesome chat we like to interact with the uh with the audience either in chat or you can call in using twitter spaces and argue with us about why you think we should be calling our, our politicians or, or why you think your shitcoin is legitimate or why you know whatever uh we have awesome discussion there and check that out monday nights at 5 30 but yeah have a good one